Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers? The Home Depot has an idea. Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens. Right now, get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants, indoors and outside. Shop our wide selection online and pick up your order in-store and give mom the gift of a beautiful garden. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. With your Amex card, entertainment benefits like special ticket access and pre-sales to select can't-miss events while supplies last, make every tap music to your ears. Experts claim there is nothing tougher than a diamond. But at Diamonds Direct, we beg to differ. Have you ever met a mother? Strong, radiant, timeless. This Mother's Day, give her the gift that meets her match. With diamond jewelry starting at $200, plus Diamonds Direct's exceptional quality and unbeatable everyday price, you're sure to give her a gift that wows this generation and the next to come. Experience the thrill of jewelry shopping done right at Diamonds Direct. Diamonds Direct. Your love, our passion. Welcome to Between Bites on the New Orleans Pelicans Podcast Network. I'm Larry Miller with Nina Compton, and we have an incredibly cool, very neat New Orleanian with us today, Brandon B. My Goda. Happy to have you. We are honored to have you and chat with you and just really let our, our listeners know about your story because it's a, it's a beautiful story. So. So how, how young were you, Brandon, when you realized how important art was to you? Whether it was oh, just, wow. I like drawing this. Or yeah. That. I don't ever remember not being, that's double negative. <laughs> I always remember having art close to me or being creative or wanting to draw a color, all the things since I was super young. And I think, if anything, it was like the affirmation of my peers that made me take it serious. You know, friends would be like, oh, you're good at that. Oh, wow, you did that. Or teachers like, oh, that's amazing. You know. Hearing that at a young age was really important for me to like think about continuing to do it and not just seeing it as something I like to do, but seeing something that uh, other people liked as well. And when you did it back then, I mean, as you think back, was it just you alone at the table drawing as, yeah. as opposed to now where you... That's a good point. Music so it, and... It definitely was. I was just always, like my father pointed this out to me a long time ago because he was... My father was keen on trying to understand our two brothers. Um, I'm in the middle. And my father was keen on trying to understand how each of us learned differently. And so he pointed out something, because my father's a pastor, so we spent a lot of time in church. Mm-hmm. And he pointed out something to me that I didn't realize, but he said, I notice about you, you have to doodle all the time, but I don't bother you because I realize that's your that's your style of listening. That's the way you learn. Wow. And so it was something that I always had to do. It was like I always, when we were at the table at a restaurant, at the table eating dinner, like I always had to have something to do around with. And so initially it was like Ninja Turtles, Sonic the Hedgehog, this thing. Right. <laughs> Sonic. Yeah. It was just cool stuff that I liked that I wanted to recreate. And, um, but it definitely was something that I enjoyed doing on my own as well as just, it was just the way I listened and observed things in, in real time. And that's a, a blessing to have a father who yeah. is willing to recognize An that. An understanding, yeah. To, yeah, instead of just saying, stop doodling. Yeah, you know? yeah. <laughs> my father is a really fascinating individual. Like, he grew up without a father, so he felt he had to overcompensate. He was reading books. He was trying to understand, like, what did it mean to be a father? And I think that was one of the things he learned in one of his books that said, okay, 
each child is going to have a different way of learning, a different way of conscious, concentrating on things. So, yeah. That's very cool. Yeah, definitely. The uh, And that exposure of your youth from things that your, your parents showed you, obviously some of your subjects of your art are folks from the 60s yeah, and definitely. 70s. How were you exposed to that as a child? I don't, so that's the part that I don't think I was exposed okay. to. I think um, I had a normal, well, I shouldn't say normal. My father was in the military. My mom's from New Orleans. So being, my father was from upstate Louisiana, outside Shreveport. And so as you can imagine, a person from New Orleans is very difficult to get them to want to travel a lot and live other places. Right. It was like this duality of my dad having to move and be in different places and my mom consciously wanting to come back to New Orleans all the time, like telling us, we're going back to New Orleans, we're going back to New Orleans. <laughs> right. so, New Orleans was always home, even when I wasn't here physically. And so I think being that we were in, I was a military brat, I think I wasn't really ever... My identity was always like in flux based off of where I were, you know, like if I was living in Okinawa, Japan, it was just like, I'm an American or I'm from New Orleans. I didn't have a lot of time when I was younger to really fully delve on like history of my identity. It was always just about the real time version because it was always like in contrast to where I was. Um, And so it wasn't until high school, college that I started to fully, I had a teacher that I remember he asked the question, what does it mean to be black? And that was the first time I really tried to grapple with that and tried to understand history in a way that made me focus on some people in the past, champions in the past. Um, and so, yeah, that's kind of how that started, high school, college. So high school, mm-hmm. you went to NOCA. Went to NOCA, right, right, yeah. Block and a half away yeah. from, from Studio B. Uh-huh. Um, what did you study there at NOCA? I went for visual arts. Um, I, so I went to Edna Carr on the West Bank. Okay. And I remember there was a assembly that NOCA, at this time NOCA, they might still do this, but they were going around different schools having assemblies trying to encourage people to sign up. And I remember they talked about visual arts and everybody sitting next to me looked at me. <laughs> <laughs> this is and I think I signed up, not really knowing what I was getting myself into, but it was just like, okay, you like to draw, this is where you should go. And uh, yeah, that was really transformative for me. That's very cool. And parents were cool and on board yeah, with it? Yeah, definitely, definitely. You know, it was, a, it was a, we had to, you know, they, travel half a day. So it was like lunchtime, I guess I would have to have a ride to go to NOCA and then be picked up from across the river. And if you live on the West Bank, going across the river was a big deal. Oh yeah. yes, it still is. Yeah. It still is. And especially then when it was like a dollar toll going. Yeah. So it was like, oh, we got to pay a dollar for you to get to school. Um, so that was definitely a, a, an informative time for me. And I, so I went for visual arts, but then I also started going on weekends and summer sessions for media arts. So I was trying to do a lot over there. <laughs> well, that is a lot. Yeah, that is a lot. So you were doing filmmaking with mm-hmm. Juvenile and Mostaf. Tell mm-hmm. us about that. because Yeah, yeah. So that was fun. Uh, How does that happen? Yeah, so um, I went to NOCA for visual arts and media arts. But when I graduated, I felt at the time, this is before Instagram, before social media, I didn't see direct examples of like what it means to be a visual arts as a black person right. from New Orleans. So I was like, okay, filmmaking, however, I did see examples where I was like, oh, I want to be like Spike Lee or I want to be like John Singleton. So I went to college, I went to UNO for filmmaking and that led me down this journey of production, doing videos, um, commercial videos, as well as music videos. And um, I don't know, things just always happen in a serendipitous, divine way. And I remember meeting most deaf Yassine Bey in New Orleans. He this was uh, 
three or four years after Hurricane Katrina. And a friend of mine called me and he was like, yo, I'm going to say most because that's what we went by that. Mm-hmm. He was like, yo, most Def's in town and he wants to get a tour of the night war, but my car's in the shop. Can you take him? Oh, wow. Like, what? Like, oh, of course. <laughs> <laughs> so I remember I had not met him before, pulled up to the hotel, called this number. He comes out and I'm driving him through the night ward. He wow. wanted to see him first. And I introduced him to some folks that I knew that were doing some great work out there. Common Ground, Malik Rahim, and we did this walking tour, and it was just such an emotional day. And from that point, we sort of created like it was like we we had this experience together. And he was like, "I'm leaving tomorrow, but I want to stay in touch." And over the last the next couple of years, we stayed in touch. He ended up moving to New Orleans for a couple of years during that time. I didn't know that. Yeah, he was living here about three years. Um, moved his family down here, and during that time, we became real close. I was like helping him around, showing him around the city, and in return, not in return, but at the same time, creating content together. Um, I got him in the studio with Manny Fresh. They did this full project. Of Manny. (laughs) Um, But that was such a fun time. And then Juvenile, he's just, you know, he's one of the hometown heroes, one of the the, the golden child, we call him. And so that was an honor to be able to work with him on a few projects as well. Um, So yeah, those are some cool, cool moments. That was... Around 2005, 2012, mm-hmm. you, were, you were doing video. And you decide that you want to play around with graffiti. Yeah. It, it yeah, tell informed, us about that. Each thing informed the next. So um, in college, I started a collective called Two Cent. And we were doing like media around, like just trying to give voice to, we understood the camera as a weapon to allow people to speak and to be heard, especially post-Katrina New Orleans. So we were using our camera to tell stories and to amplify voices. And then at the same time, the way I was, I was working at a TV station, New Orleans Access TV, which is, uh, is public access TV, channel 77, 78, all those channels <laughs> where people are on their soapbox speaking their truth. Um, so my, 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 I guess, curiosity around the role of art started to increase in terms of what can I do with this gift that I have? Um, at the same time, I'm making most of my money at the time doing music videos. And rappers all wanted to be, at this point, in these abandoned spaces, forgotten backdrops. They wanted these, like, tough environments in the background. So I'm constantly, like, looking for abandoned warehouses, abandoned apartment complexes. And when you go back there, you see all this graffiti everywhere. And at that point, I hadn't been painting a lot because I kind of just, that was, like, the chapter before. I wasn't trying to do that. But then when I see this art on these walls and it's, with so much curiosity around who did it, why did they do it, how did they do it. I was just so fascinated to the point that I wanted to try too. And so I used to go back in those spaces, no longer with my video camera, but with spray paint and say, okay, I'm gonna try this out because no one's gonna know, no one's gonna see, because that's what I was thinking. Right. And so I started on this journey. And, uh, and when you say no one's gonna know, no one's gonna see, they're not gonna judge you. Yeah, it was like- You personally. It was this idea that I can sort of create for the pure idea of creating without the desire to be seen or be heard or to be like judged or celebrated. It was just like, this is gonna happen. No one's gonna see or care. That's very cool. Um, And it was really liberating because I think I was kind of stuck with that with art. I kind of, that's what frustrated me to stop. Um, So here I am in these spaces, specifically the Florida Housing Project in the Ninth Ward, and I'm painting um, what I thought was graffiti at first, realized I was terrible at it. And then I'm like, well, I used to do portraits and stuff in school. Let me see if I can do that with spray paint. Started doing that. 
And my impulse was just to create portraits of people who I love and celebrate. You know, if you're a kid who grew up watching sports, you're gonna do Michael Jordan or, right. or you know, any of the greats. Um, but for me, I'm like, yo, I really appreciate black history. Let me do some stuff from that. And then there's sort of this commentary begins to rise that there's this political art happening in this abandoned housing project. And that's kind of how the whole thing began to grow. That's amazing. Yeah. And how long do you think it, well, we'll get to this, that, that when you, when did you get to the point that you were painting actual people, mm -hmm. recognizable subjects or something that if somebody didn't recognize them, they could read about them. And I got it. I've, I've nailed yeah, this. Yeah, I think. Did it translate from paint and canvas to it, so at this larger point, scale? At this point, there was no canvas. Canvas didn't happen until Studio B, which okay. was like three years later after that process. At this point, it was just the adventure of painting on walls in, in abandoned spaces. Um, and I think what happened was as the images started to circulate, because initially I, was, I started with trying to do lettering. I realized I was not excited about lettering. Then I started to do like cartoon characters, like The Simpsons, and mm -hmm. different characters that I liked. And then I wasn't really excited about that. And I think the first portrait I did was Gil Scott Heron. And it was just this record cover that I really appreciated with him with glasses on. I painted that and I really thought it, it did something for me. Um, and at that point, communication in those spaces were kind of limited. So you'll paint something on the wall come back a couple of days later and somebody might write something next to it and I was like your way of knowing someone had seen it or right. someone had an impact with it um and so yeah so that Gil Scott was the first one and then the images that started to circulate online um and then other folks started to go back and find these pieces it was almost like a scavenger hunt where someone would see the image they'll see the general location and then they'll go look for it and I think in a lot of ways myself, as well as the other artists that were part of those projects, we benefited from the rise of Instagram that allowed people to show their taste as it relates to the adventure of going to find photos, as well as some of the superstars in street art, the Banksy's, the Shepherd Fairies, like all these individuals right. were. You want to tell up. me your Banksy story? Which one? Oh. The one up. I'll tell them that one later. Oh, the, uh, <laughs> the, uh, so were you, were you signing these? It did so I was I think originally I was just putting B B E and it wasn't and, and even that was rare because it wasn't to me it was I, because I, it was for you or because you were well I, I think at that point I was just like I was always nervous about getting in trouble right mm. and also I was conscious of not having a I didn't know what to identify with these pieces I didn't know what to put on there I wasn't gonna put my name I was using B Mike in terms of my videos, so they would be like directed by B Mike. So I didn't want to put that on there because I, I wanted to create the separation. So I think if anything, you would have only seen the word BE. And I was writing something prior to that, but I'm not gonna say what that is. <laughs> it was another name that I was using, but I was transitioning out of that at that point as well. So a lot of those pieces were just there. Yeah. And, um, yeah, and it was just it was just a fascinating time because other artists started to come back in those spaces. We created this sort of underground art experience. We called it Project B, and it was just an amazing three months. Of it was it was an enormous artistic success. It yeah. was, and, yeah. and a, a big moment for the city, also. And we and it, it was it was very un, unassuming. Like we didn't come in with the lofty expectation that this is going to be this thing. It was just organic, and it was natural. It was just it was beautiful. Um, and 
and yeah, I benefit so much from that experience. I learned so much from that experience. Um, yeah. So, guy in the NBA uh-huh. had a good career. He still remembers that seminal moment somewhere in his life. He hit a shot in high school, mm-hmm. college. Um, he had a great game. He had a bad game. When you look back at, obviously, you were very successful. Um, are there things along the way oh, that definitely. still stick out to you? Definitely. Um, I remember, for example, this one time. So Project B was was this obscure. Like I said, it was this. We didn't know how to define it because people weren't allowed to go back there because it was illegal. Technically, we were trespassing, even though eventually Housing Authority of New Orleans had a different thought. But <laughs> in the beginning, it wasn't supposed to happen. And so I remember these this work existing in a way where it was in this gray space. And I remember one time I drove up to the space and we had our process of how we would get in. Some people just would park in front and just jump in, but we had our process. And I remember this time I walked in and there was a car parked in the middle of this space and I'd never seen cars in there before. So somehow this car figured out how to get in there. And in the trunk of the car, this family, it was a guy and like two kids in the back of the car. I had painted all these little windows, these broken windows that was just discarded around the property. And I painted on them. In the back of his truck, he had all those windows. Oh, wow. And I remember I was too nervous to go up and say something. So I had one of my homies. I was like, go ask what they're doing. <laughs> and he comes back and he's like, oh, he wants to put it in this exhibit he's doing in Nebraska or something like that. Whoa. And I was just looking at that like, this is really interesting. Because at this point, we're like on this cusp of being like in the shadows to now people are paying attention. So that's one of those moments where I'm like, wait a minute. Like, should I be upset? Should I be upset? <laughs> right, right, right. <laughs> and eventually we, we we convinced them or they convinced them that what he was doing was not the right thing and they he should, the stuff should remain, et cetera, et cetera. Um, so that was a moment. But I think throughout those moments, it was like seeing the way people responded and the curiosity and trying to understand the curiosity, trying to understand why is there, why is there this response? Like, why are other artists also going back here? Why are teachers bringing their students even though this is not a, a, a solicited field trip destination. Right. But why are you bringing your students back here? And then listening to the conversations that were being had, understanding that it was it was art, but it was also more than art. And those were the moments that began to inform how I thought about these things in the future. How did it, how did it become your project and housing authority mm-hmm. allowing you to do it? Well, so it was interesting. So there's three, there are three projects, Project B, Exhibit B, Studio B. Project B was never allowed to exist. Right. The Housing Authority of New Orleans initially looked the other way. And then as it began to gain popularity, as it got on the news, it was on the newspaper, then they were like, yeah, we have to do something about right. this. And then they sort of like over-policed it and kind of locked it down. And they boarded up all the windows and doors. However, we had strong advocacy behind the scenes with some of my mentors who then stepped in and said, wait a minute, something's happening here. But the most they did was they said, okay, we can cut out the walls and we'll, we'll, we can create a way for you to have those walls. So at most, Project B, the walls were cut out and preserved. But technically, people weren't ever allowed to be back there, even though many, many people have been back there. Gotcha. Exhibit B had a different journey where it started off in that same way where it was kind of this gray space. But then we were able to open it up to the public and people were able to participate. And that was a beautiful gathering that grew. And then Studio B grew in a similar way where we had an intention and then it, we, we surpassed even the dreams of that intention. And you have some pieces from Project B mm-hmm. at Studio B? Yeah, so in Studio B, there's still like 
10 walls from Project B. That wow, it's amazing. So it's interesting, definitely. We um, have a few guests that come in and they have the little Studio B Yeah, it's thing. always exciting. And, you know, it's, we just talk to the guests that's sitting at the bar and I'm like, oh, how, what do you think? And they're not from here. Uh-huh. But they're it's it's so recognized that it, it is a stop on their on their trip. They're and like they're moved by Yeah, and they are just trip. like I am blown away. So Yeah, I would have never imagined that. It was always uh, I mean we're grateful for it and I think if anything I'm conscious of being a good steward of the moment that we're in and and the idea that people do respond to the work. But and, and that's where the responsibility comes in. That's where the work with the youth comes in. That's yes. where the idea of like us passing it on. And Tell us about more it. about that project. Because yeah, it, it's, so, it's truly, I saw you did a launch um, this past. Yeah, it, it was, um, so as, as long as I've been in this, the opportunity to create, we've been conscious of passing it on. You know, I've been associated with programs, teaching programs since I was like 19. You know, mm. so it was always a thing that I was a part of. And then about 10 years ago, my collective, we started our own summer session. Well, it'll be more than 10, because we took two years off before the pandemic. So I would say 12 years ago, we started this summer session. Um, and every year it's been about in, uh, investing in a group of young people, teens in New Orleans, creators, and giving them the opportunity to create and be heard and, and challenging them with the tools and with the abilities that they have. So this year, um, we just completed our summer session. This was our 10th one, and it was 20 teens. It's a program where they get paid to participate, so it's almost like an internship. Right. So they get a stipend to attend, and they get to create some cool stuff with cool folks. And um, but for us, it's about investing in the future of the creative economy. And you know, we understand that New Orleans is a special place with special people. Indeed, and it requires a certain level of intention around how we think about the future. And unfortunately, we're in a moment now where the narratives around our youth can sometimes be overwhelmingly negative. Where we're having these critical conversations about some of the behavior of some of the folks in our young population. But I think we have to continue to invest in all of the folks, and especially the ones who are doing the right thing and trying to do the right thing in the midst of the negative that they might see as well. And so these were the young people we were working with and they created some amazing work and we got a chance to show it to the world uh, this past Saturday. Have you noticed a change in the children over the yeah. years that you've been working with them? Definitely, I think so for sure, when we used to start, the, when we started the program, it was all digital media. And we would legit spend about two weeks teaching them the camera. And because this was at a time when they didn't have smartphones. Right. And um, even before DSLRs was like a big thing, we were teaching them camera for like two weeks. Now, if I spend more than a day on camera, they're looking at me like, you're wasting that you time. Keep it, you keep, <laughs> it, keep it moving. Yeah, like, <laughs> they walk in with it. Like, they right. understand it. Now it's about trying to inform them how to be we call it uh, uh, conscious composers. So, cause we know you know how to shoot a shot or, or, or get some video content, but how do you consciously compose it in a way where you're doing it as a professional? And that takes us maybe a couple of days to, to kind of land that. But that's one of the main differences. But also I think a larger difference I see is our young people are way more keen now in their voice and the power of their voice than I've ever seen. I know it's refreshing generation. to see. Yeah, it, right. is. it is. It was like, we felt we needed uniform or to be voted or to have a, a degree and then you can speak but these kids are like nah i'm gonna speak right now they are very confident yeah. they're very confident but you're taking this not only to new Orleans, but you have become worldwide in 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 your work and i think that you know you have been doing projects all mm-hmm. over the country um with your murals and i think that's for me so 
beautiful because you're not just keeping it here. You're you're spreading the love. Yeah, it's been a blessing for sure. It's definitely been a blessing to be able to. I remember when I was in high school, there was a I can't remember who the musician was. I think it might have been Shamar Allen, somebody who came to to class and he picked up his trumpet and he said, "This has been my passport to travel the world." Yes. And. And now I can do that with, with, I can go to classes and pick up my spray can and say, this has been my passport that's allowed me to travel the world. And so I think it is beautiful um, to be able to do what I love, but also to be an ambassador of this city, you know, because I think there's, everywhere you go, you, you find people that love New Orleans. And when I go spaces, no matter how how far away they are, or how exotic they might be, if I say I'm from New Orleans, they love it. They love it. There's going to be a response. Yeah. Be a response. I, I think... I have never met a single person when I tell them I live here. They're like, I love it. I can't wait to go back. It's the, like the eyes light up. Mm -hmm. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. (sighs) Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh my, look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. The Home Depot wants every mom to have their own outdoor oasis this Mother's Day. Whether that be a new space to relax or a beautiful garden upgrade. At the Home Depot, you can give mom a gift that's as unique as she is with a stylish and comfortable place to entertain or relax for the mom who does it all. And with convenient delivery, you won't have to stress over getting it to her either. Looking to step up your Mother's Day flowers for the mom who's great with gardening? Let mom's green thumb do some digging with colorful flowers, pots, and premium soils to bring out the most in her patios, walkways, and gardens with the Home Depot's Mother's Day savings event happening now. Get Vigoro Potting Soil, just $8.97 for strong, healthy, vibrant plants indoors and outside. Start your Mother's Day shopping and saving today by checking out the Home Depot's extensive selection online at homedepot.com or directly in store near you with convenient pickup and delivery options see homedepot.com slash delivery for details the home depot how doers get more done so you've done you've done some work with some of my biggest fans including Nas. They're not your biggest fans. You're their biggest fans. I will. I, that's what I, that's what I, <laughs> you know what I mean. You know what I mean. No, but yeah, so tell was, me about that, that connection. Uh, so Nas is, is, is a person that's been always a few degrees of separation. I mean, his manager is from New Orleans. Oh, really? I don't know that. Yeah. So there's in, in Nas' work with Soul Rebels. Some, right. Some, right. Uh, homies I went to NOCA with. Yeah. Soul Rebels. And, um, so that project I felt was a long time coming. I was like, one of these days we're gonna do something together. Yeah. And so for essence, uh, we worked together on, a, on a, a project that we had a brunch and they asked me to create some art for it and we got a chance to link up for that. And even prior to that though, I did some cans with his image on it and gifted it to his team. So, I mean, hopefully God willing soon we could do something, something bigger, but that yeah. was exciting to be a part of. I mean, I'm such a big fan. Favorite Nas song? Oh man, favorite, I mean, I can say this. So House of Blues New Orleans years ago, I don't know how long ago, but I, Nas performed, I mean, he had a whole set, but he performed one mic. Oof. And just to hear <laughs> it in that intimate setting in right. House of Blues and just see the vibration of the crowd as yes. people get low and then he get high. Yes. It was just like this amazing experience. But there's a bunch of Nas lines that just constantly pop up in my head at random moments. <laughs> he, well, that's right. What music do you listen to? And is it different when you're creating? 
versus when you're driving around in the car? It is different sometimes. For example, Christian Scott, that's my homie. I love him to death. But I don't know if I would ride around to his music, but when I'm painting, I'm listening to his music a lot. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? It's, it's very layered and it's very intentional and moody and, and, and it's beautifully composed and it's very intelligent in a way mm-hmm. that's unassuming sometimes. And I really appreciate that when I'm painting because I feel like it's the same process that I'm engaging in. It's, it's, it's very thought out and intelligent, but it's unassuming if you don't really understand what's happening. You can just look at it and be like, oh, that's cool. Or you look at it and be like, oh, I really see what you did there. Right. And I think his music is very similar to that. Um, but also sometimes I think I enjoy, I enjoy the performance of painting. So like if I'm working on the mural, like I just finished the Buddy Bolden mural on, on Rampart Street mm-hmm. and the whole time I'm painting, I got a speaker playing. So I'm conscious of what I like, but also what I want people walking by to, to respond to as well. Right. So then I'm almost like a DJ. No, no, this to my DJ's friends. <laughs> <laughs> really good at what it's, they do. it's true. It's but it, true. It feels like you're kind of like You got a vibe off audience. each other. Yes. Yeah. yeah. And so in that case, I might play something different. Than I would if I'm in the studio working. Um, but I'm definitely more skewed to like hip hop, jazz. Um, not a huge R&B person, but um, definitely like hip hop and jazz. Good choices. <laughs> with the hashtag equality mm-hmm. exhibit that you did with Nike yeah. for the 2017 All-Star Game. What's it like to get that call? And then how does it go oh, from look, this is my world, this is my art, to I'm dealing with this behemoth corporation. Yeah, that was, that, that was like, that was a pivotal moment for so many reasons. I think that was validating for the work and sort of showing folk that what we were doing wasn't just in a vacuum of sorts, that a brand as huge as Nike um, was paying attention as well as wanted to collaborate. And I think that moment the equality campaign was was one of the reasons why we said yes. You know, it was one thing, because at that time, without getting into too many details, but if the backdrop of that was that, you know, All-Star kind of moved here quickly. Right. And so a lot of the brands had to figure things out quickly. So they had stuff planned out already, but then they're like, over oh, in New Orleans now, we have to figure some things out. And so we got a call, we got calls from a lot of brands. Like, it was at least four or five major brands that contacted us saying they wanted to work either at Studio B or with me to some capacity. And so I had to make a choice because I couldn't work with all of them. Because right. all of them were like, you work with us, you can't work with us. <laughs> right. And so within making that decision, one of the reasons why we decided to work with Nike was because of the equality campaign. Like, we got a chance to really talk with the folks that curated and created the campaign. And the conversations we had were very mission-oriented. And so it wasn't just the idea of working with Nike. It was like, oh, I understand why you all feel the need to do this now. And we felt that there was some synergy in messaging. And and then it, it really was a blessing because we kept like one-upping each other. It was like, okay, I can do this, but could you do this? And it's like, okay, but if you do this, could you do this? And so it kept growing. So the initial ask. But you were fearless every time you asked. It, it was it was fearless because I think I had a I was afforded a sense of confidence because of the timing and because of the other brands I knew that were I knew I had a backup, so right, right. So that was really exciting because, um, yeah, I think it was a lot for a lot of people. It was surprising. It was like, wait a minute, like they're doing. Even folks, my friends from out of town, mm-hmm. you know, some of the folks who I know that are doing amazing stuff, they were like, wait, you did what with who? And so that was really exciting. Um, and like I said, it was mission oriented. It was important. It it didn't feel like a 
corporate event. Right, and that's what I was conscious of. You know, I was conscious of not doing something where a brand just throws up everywhere right. and then you just have to dance in the midst of it. And I think that made sense. I didn't have to change any of the artwork. I didn't have to like re-message anything that we were already doing because it was already done. A writing. Yeah. It, was yeah. in, it was in mission. It was under, yeah. in, in synergy with that. One of the things we have a, a nephew comes to visit us mm -hmm. almost every year, and he always wants to go to the studio. Yeah, always, yeah, yeah, yeah. The most proper little boy you'll ever meet, but he and is. Again, a, a, an exhibit, a museum is going to be different to everybody. But one of the ones that has always stuck out to me was when you're painting "My Little Generation" with mm -hmm. Taz drinking out yeah. of a whites-only yeah. water fountain. An incredibly moving piece of art that you did, but then you. Uh, had an exhibit of all the children who had colored it. Mm -hmm. That was kind of neat. Yeah, that was, that was moving. Yeah. And when you give them a sheet of paper with the outline of it and say color, what are their instructions? It's really, so it, it depends. We've done it a few different ways, but mostly it's it's giving them the agency to say, okay, you see how I did it, but now do it your way. You know, just letting them know that there are like, there is room for you to just take this to, to another level. And I think, and these are just regular school tours. Yeah, tours, these right? are, we do school tours all the time. Okay. And, and, and one of the, the main things for me is always like getting these kids to walk in and be like, this is cool, but I can do it better. And be like, yes, that's the point. Yes, you can right. do it better, and I want you to because where we took it is where we took it, but you can take it a whole lot further. And so that's just a way for them to see that exercise in real time because then now they have more excitement around their creation versus the one that I did. So it's like, yeah, mine is cool, but look what I did. And that's kind of like the attitude that you get, especially from the younger ones. Do you ever tell them, like the ones who don't have it, and say you need to pick up a trombone? No, <laughs> definitely not. No, I, I like to. I like to think that we all have. Because even when people say they be like, "Oh, I couldn't even draw a stick figure," or no, they'll say like, "All I can do is a stick figure," and I'm like, "Well, that's pretty dope. Stick right. figures are cool." Yeah. yeah. Or like, I can't even draw a straight line. I'm like, "Well, not many people can draw straight right. lines." Right. So, I think the way we've oriented ourselves around art is interesting. That's a whole different conversation. But I do feel like everyone has sort of, I like to operate with that mindset that everybody's a genius at something. And I think even when it comes to art, like I know the way I choose to create art and what I love about the art that I create, everyone has a process that they're a genius at. Like you, 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 if I give you some medium or something, you could create something that is your own genius. And I think with the kids, it's so easy to point that out. Like see the way you did that? And you don't have any kids of your own? No, I do not. It's pretty amazing to yeah. be able to make that connection. I think I think I, I've satisfied the paternal instinct with the programs I'm constantly because I feel like I, I get so excited to like work with young artists because I know how much of an impact that had on me when I was a young artist to see someone who take time and say okay you have something or to point out um, the potential that you have and how important it is in your growth and so I think for me it's about being that person for other people as well and. You know, getting kids run up and be like, how would I have to be to be in your program? And I'm like, well, you got a couple more years. Right. You know, so that's exciting to me that there's this, uh, I guess, expectation and appetite to, to, to for us to continue. You know, it kind of gives us this responsibility like, well, we can't stop now because now this kid who's 11 says so they're waiting to their 14. <laughs> yeah, that, that's amazing yeah. <laughs> to have to have a wait list. Is there anybody that is on the cusp of. That's the next person that we need to look out for. Yeah, I think I would be, if all of them listen, they're going to be upset. But <laughs> we, we have a collective called Be Light, and it's our teen artist collective. The ages are like 17 to, I think, I'm not going to say teen, it's young artists, because it's 17 to, I think, 22. Um, 
and all of them have identified themselves as creatives. They all like want to make an impact with their art, and they're all doing amazing work. Right now, we're allowing them to all have solo shows in the studio, so they rotate oh, wow. every month. They have a three of them have their own solo show, and each one has been amazing. Like I'm looking at the work, and I'm like, this is really cool. Like I really appreciate how you're taking this medium to this level, or how you're taking your voice and your story to an audience in a very bold way. And so for me, I would say all of them are, are and, and truthfully at every single show, if I'm able to, if I'm in town, I'm able to be there. What I tell the audience there is like, look, all of these artists are on the rise and it's important that you invest in them now because the couple of dollars you spend on the sketch <laughs> right. in a couple of years might be worth a whole lot more. And so that's kind of the pitch I tell to the audience that all of these young creatives are, are going places. They're all growing and they're all moving in their own pace. So yeah, I would say all of those young folks. And that's amazing that you're giving them this platform to for exposure. I think that's yeah. really beautiful. And that's that's very rare because a lot of people don't get an opportunity to do that at, at a young age. Yeah, I mean to use a basketball analogy, I'm not, you know, I'm not trying to ball hog. I'm trying yeah. to make sure that I can assist as often as I can yeah. because I understand that that is the way to ultimately get get the W, you know, right. is to continue to to build the momentum around around you at the and, same time you ball hard yeah <laughs> <laughs> yeah definitely you know i don't i don't i'm not lazy i think that's, <laughs> that's the thing i try to tell the young folk that i make i'm not lazy but i also understand like the fundamentals and i understand what works for me and what doesn't work for me and i right. think everyone has to figure that out on their own but yeah when you go on vacation assuming you go on a real vacation uh, nina goes on vacation and works when she's on vacation, that's probably yeah. are, are, are you able to shut it off, or do you stare at a palm tree and get lost in that palm tree? Someone advised me that I need to start doing puzzles and stuff like that, so I can like keep it on. The right, right, right. Not, like not focused on the project, but um, I think when I go places, I find myself like there's always like the like I, I like to call it the welcoming sense of possibility, where it's like you go someplace and somebody's like, oh, you got to see this mural part of town. And I go there and run into somebody and yeah. she's like, oh, you want to do something? I'm like, yeah, of course. <laughs> that happens a lot. But then also I think um, I'm very conscious of finding versions of what we do here in New Orleans with Studio B and Eternal Seeds and other places. Because I feel like we're not an original idea. We're an idea, but I feel like so many places are doing things similar and I like to learn from them. So sometimes when I'm, if I'm not working or painting, I'm, just curious to listen and learn from folks. Right. So I go places and ask questions. That's like us going to other restaurants. Right. Yeah. So and, where and, where and, like some of your favorite places to get like inspired? Man, there's, there's a whole lot. So in Houston, right up the street, there's a project called uh, Project Row Houses, which is an amazing project that started in a similar way, where this artist sort of found a lot of these abandoned places and transformed them now into like fully functioning. It's amazing what they're doing there. Um, my homie Hebrew Brantley. Um, he's, he's now relocated to LA, but he's a Chicago-based artist and he mm -hmm. has his own studio. So to see what he's able to do with taking his own personal craft and expanding it into a studio. So now he has employees working for him, creating stuff that is technically his stuff, but it employs other folks. I think that's a model that we've been super curious about. And then there's all these like community-based projects that sparked out of just need and, and mm -hmm. you see that often in New Orleans where you see these things that are sparked from need. Um, Ashe Cultural Center, one of those things, you know, they're, right. they're thriving in the city and they started in a way where it was like, this is based on the need of this community. And so we've been compiling a list of those spaces throughout the country, throughout the world and trying to get a better understanding of how we can learn from them as well as 
help when when then there needs to be help. You know, it's yeah. like, okay, here's something we learned from this experience. And so that's been a part of the the goal as we think about our future is how do we be more intentional? Yeah, I think I mean we lived in Miami for a while and there were the windward the windward walls, yeah. Which is always ever changing. But, but now that's also changed into Every hotel is opening there. Yeah, yeah. It, it became commercialized. Right, but it started. But that's it's, Miami. That's, it, it's also started off very organically, whereas right. an area that was yeah. nobody wanted to touch with a stick. Right. And now everybody's going and taking pictures. Right. Um, and it's involved with Art Basel and mm-hmm. you know do all these things. So it just shows you how art can really change the landscape of areas. And I think Miami presents a very cautionary tale in that way because it, it is something to learn from that experience as right. well. It's like, well, how far is too far? You know, where right. is it? Where is that line? And, and and what happens when you cross the line? Is it still benefit when you cross the line? Right. Because I do, I know a lot of people on many sides of the spectrum of when, when people who are like full support and say, this is the most amazing thing that can yes. happen. And then people who are critical, like, no, this is what happens when it goes too far. Right. So I think those are the stories we also are conscious of as we travel and learn. And also I'm finding that there's spaces I think everywhere people are starting to understand the power of public art, the power of these types of projects and endeavors. So now you have even the smallest cities who are now starting their own mural campaigns, mural projects. Right. So it's been amazing to see. And I think the verdict is still out in a lot of ways in terms of the long-term impact of of these projects and and what ultimately they can do good and bad. I'm excited to be able to to have a voice in the midst of it to 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 understand the impact we've been blessed to have in this community. Um, you know, it's, it's been a blessing for sure. It's amazing the the positivity that you bring to everything you've done and this conversation today. Yeah, and one thing we didn't touch up on. Mm-hmm. Tell us about the Will Smith. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> we cannot. That was a leave. Long one. So the short story, the short version of the story is years ago. Will and Jada Smith Foundation did a project in Brooklyn, and I was um, invited to be one of the artists to sort of be a part of that. And it was like this conference they did for for young students that were trying to get into the the movie industry, but to mm-hmm. show them like it was almost like a job fair, right? To show them all the aspects outside of just the star roles of the director. And it was a beautiful event. I was uh, commissioned to do some art for that, and relationships are important. You know, in New Orleans, we know how to like cultivate relationships we know how to like make sure we you know leave everyone feeling away and not you know, people walking away feeling like they have right. a taste in their mouth so right. i think i think and there's many versions of this story and people <laughs> have told me like oh you, this is the reason why you got the book cover this is the <laughs> but in my opinion i think that's what one of the things where it was like having this positive impact with that particular moment with will's team specifically the team that runs his foundation and then years later, I got a call saying, well, we're thinking about um, you for this book and blah, blah, blah. And it was like all these NDAs and you can't talk about this. Right, blah, blah, right, blah. right. <laughs> yeah. There's some book that people want me to work on. And I was like, oh, it's Will Smith's book. It's like, oh, he really wants you to do this. And he, he loves your work and blah, blah, blah. And But more importantly, when I presented the vision of creating these portraits that I would destroy, because I, I thought that was going to be something that they thought would be negative, like, because the whole the cover itself is like various portraits of Will that I cover up mm-hmm. that lead to the final portrait. So I'm like, yeah, the goal is to create all these portraits of him as a child, as a young actor, as a superstar, as a. But I'm covering them up to kind of show the journey and the process because they gave me a copy of the book to sort of read through, and I was like, oh, that this this vulnerability is a huge part of this book, and I want to show that with the art. And surprisingly, they was like, that's such a great idea. Let's do that. And then next thing you know, 
Yeah. yeah. Amazing. So so what is next for you? What is on the horizon? What is exciting for you? You got NDAs. No, I'm, I'm just excited. I'm, I'm grateful that uh, there's there's a whole lot more I'm, I'm, I'm curious about. I'm still excited to create every chance. Every time somebody sends me a picture of a wall, I'm like, what do you think? I'm like, I still get excited about it. I'm not, yeah. I'm not bored of it yet. And I think that's exciting. But I think ultimately for me is, is trying to think about the impact and how to be more conscious of passing it on in a more intentional way so that I'm setting it up, not just for me anymore. I kind of... I've experienced that now. I'm excited by it, but now how do I create that same experience for the next artist and the next the legacy? So, yeah. <laughs> so that's really what we've been talking about and thinking about. And God willing, that's the direction we're going to. Do you see yourself being 65 years old with a can in your hand? Ah, you know, I tried to find examples of that. One of my mentors, he'd be mad if I say he was 65. He's 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 a, he's a, he's older and he's still doing it. I mean, he. he works with a lot of assistants and stuff but he at the end of the day he's still out there and I don't know if that's for me I think um because it is ex- extremely taxing mm-hmm. on the body when you're doing these murals like uh, I did that mural in Times Square and the whole time every time we got back on the ground it felt like I just got tackled a thousand times right. it's like your whole body tenses up you're dangling off the side of a building how long does it take what's the average that's like that was probably a week because everything is in week rental increments. Right. So if you're trying to be cost efficient, you want to do things within a week or two weeks because each week, and that particular rig in Times Square, the thing hanging off the side of the building, mm. that was 20 grand a week. Oof. So if you can imagine, you're like, yo, yeah. if I get this done in this <laughs> week, I'm saving a lot of money. Right, right, money. So, right. Yeah, so typically it's that type of thought. So I'm trying to get it done in a week. Um, but I think, it is kind of, it does weigh on the body. And the older I get, the more I'm realizing parts of me aching that I didn't yeah, realize right. could ache from doing a mural. Um, but I think as long as I, as long as I'm, I feel like I'm always be a part of it, whether it's like hiring other artists or, you know. So, yeah. Amazing. Take us out. What is your closing, closing line? Take us out. My closing line. I don't know if I have a, I think, um, you know, I would encourage. One, anyone who visits New Orleans to come check out what we're doing at Studio B, Eternal Seeds. But I think ultimately, I think there's a there's a beauty and power in just the arts. And I'm grateful to be an ambassador of that. I'm grateful to be an ambassador of this city that's taught me so much about art and, and how you do it well. And what this city has taught me, that you do it well when you do it for others. Amen. You know I mean, whether you, whether you, when you're cooking, when you're playing the instrument, when you're creating art or performing, you do it with the audience in mind. You do it with how it's going to impact other people. And I think this city has taught me that in a way that I don't know if any other place could have taught me the same way. So I'm just grateful to be able to participate in this communal activity that brings people together. And I think that's why I'm back. That's perfect. Awesome. Thank, Thank you, you so much, Brandon. It's been amazing chatting with you. Make way for the rebirth, y'all. Make way for the rebirth. Yeah, Bill. Make way for the rebirth. Make way for the rebirth. Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. 
With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org. Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Let's hit it. Give me a vacation. Vacation. Give me a wave. Surfing. Give me a city tour. The trolley. Give me animals. The zoo. Give me some sea life. <laughs> Give me museums. Park. Give me a woo. What's that spell? San Diego! If you're happy and you know it, San Diego is the place to show it. Book your family vacation at sandiego.org. Funded in part with the City of San Diego Tourism Marketing District Assessment Funds.